0: good morning church family I am going to read for you for the from the book of James chapter 1 uh, verses 22 through 27 do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by this world.
1: Thank you, Rodney. Good morning, church. If you attend church somewhat regularly, you probably listened to between 30 and 40 sermons this year. Over a period of five years, that amounts to 150 to 200 sermons. If you've attended church somewhat regularly for 10 years, you've heard somewhere between 300 and 400 sermons. And if you attended regularly for 20 years, wait. This is last week's introduction, (laughs) right? I mean, you should have gone, well, that kind of sounds familiar here. I mean, that is if you were here and awake last week. Kind of reminds me of the story of a young pastor who had just come to his very first church and everyone was just excited uh, to hear from him and seemed to like him. They were especially impressed with his very first sermon on his first Sunday there. I mean, he explained the Bible with insights that were more typical of a seasoned pastor than a novice. His examples were interesting. His applications were relevant. I mean, it was just an excellent sermon. Everyone eagerly looked forward to the next Sunday and the next sermon. Well, the next Sunday, a most unusual thing happened. The new pastor preached the same sermon over again. I mean, it wasn't exactly word for word the same, but it was very close. It was based on the same passage in the Bible. He used the same illustrations and the same applications. And as people walked out, they thought that was a bit odd, but they didn't want to be too critical of this new pastor. A few mentioned it to each other, but didn't mention it to him. Some thought maybe he had a busy week and uh, didn't have time to prepare a new sermon. And so most were quite gracious and figured that repeated sermon wasn't so bad. Sunday number three was a rerun of sermon number one and sermon number two. Everything was pretty much the same. Now people began to wonder and complain. The elders also were concerned and they took the young pastor aside and they asked him if he anticipated having any different sermons. He answered, yes. Then why do you keep preaching the same sermon each week? They asked him. With a youthful warm warm naivety, the young pastor said, well, I figured that when people got around to doing what I said in the first sermon, then I'd go ahead and preach a different sermon. Now, I think Pastor James would applaud this young preacher's effort. I mean, when someone leaves a Bible study or or, or hearing of, of a sermon and says, that was a good study, that was a good sermon, what exactly do they mean? I mean, what makes it good? Well, look with me to the letter of James. If you're not there, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James. It's near the back of your Bibles. Uh, Revelations, your last book, and you can come back a little bit, and there's James. We're going to be looking at chapter one here in a moment. And James is all about what? We've already seen it. Faith in action. About living out the gospel we believe in. Well, this morning, really, uh, is part two, a continuation of the verses we looked at last week in James 1, verses 18 through 21, which is why I started out this morning as I did. We move from react and receive from last week to now what do you do with it? Now what do you do with what you have received? And if I were to summarize the entire section from verses 18 through 27, Last week's sermon and this week's passage, I could put it this way. Don't just talk, here. Don't just hear, listen. Don't just listen, do. Don't just do, do right. Let me say that again. It's really the takeaway of this entire section. You don't just talk, here. Don't just hear, listen. Don't just listen, do. Don't just do, do right. And we'll be picking up the second half of that statement here this morning. Now last week, I mentioned a danger, the danger of becoming, becoming sermon-proof, sermon-proof, that, it, that it's possible that you have become so familiar with God's Word that it actually bounces off of you without having little to no impact in your life. You become sermon-proof. That was the first danger. Well, I want to mention a second danger from this morning, and that is sermon-sipping, Sermon sipping. You sip from sermon to sermon. You take a sip of this sermon. You take a sip of another sermon. You take a sip of your favorite preacher without drinking deeply from the well. It's a little like wine tasting. Not that any of you have ever done that, but you've heard of it. Yeah. You sample this taste, and then you sample another. You take a sip of this. You take a sip of that. Sermon sipping. What preacher suits my taste? All right. I hope your Bible's open to James chapter 1. I encourage you to follow along with me as today we're going to look at verses 22 through 27 that Rodney read for us. And we left off last time with verse 21. And so follow along as I read verse 22. All right. Verse 22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So heading number one here this morning is, don't just listen, do. Don't just listen, do. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. As a man was walking into church and he was very late for the service, he he turned to one of the ushers standing in the foyer and he asked the, the usher, is the sermon done? The usher replied, well, the sermon has been preached, but it has yet to be done. That's a good answer. I mean, at what point is the sermon preached done? We saw last week the importance of listening when it comes to the Word of God. But James is going to take that one more step here. What happens when the Bible is closed? What happens when we, we stop listening to that preacher? Because if we just listen and not do, it says we are deceiving ourselves we are kidding ourselves because God's word was given to us not for informational purposes only now when I went uh, to complete my master's degree many years ago I had the privilege of filling in my schedule with classes that I would audit had enough credits and I had some spare time and so I audited some classes and the beautiful thing about auditing classes is that you had the benefit of getting all the notes, hearing the lectures of the professors, but you weren't required to do any of the classwork. <laughs> you know what he did. I didn't have to take any of the tests. I didn't have any papers to pass in. I wasn't required to read any books. Now, now, if you know me, in some cases, I still chose to do some of the work outside of the class, but it wasn't required. to Audit a class, you attended... For informational purposes only. It asks little of you except attend. One who audits a class is not held accountable for what he hears. Now, interestingly, the word for listen there in verse 22, or some translated hearers, is similar to our word auditor. The word was used Uh, For those who who sat passively in an audience and listened to a concert, listened to a musician, listened to some speaker, passively just sat there. That was the idea. Now, there's some satisfaction in listening. But as Paul Tripp put it, it's wonderful to take in the wisdom of God's word. It's even better to apply it to the situations of your everyday life. See, God's word's clear. We are not to be auditors only. We don't gather on Sunday morning. We don't listen to our favorite preacher during the week. We don't tend this, this Bible study simply to be wowed by the material presented and then not do any of the work. We've been given the precious, powerful word of God for a purpose greater than auditing. If you gather for informational purposes only, without there being any significant changes in our lives, we are fooling ourselves. We are self-deceived. In mathematics, we might say it is a miscalculation. Don't just listen, do. That's the principle. Now James is gonna illustrate that principle with a mirror. Now, I wanna point out something about the structure of the verses here, uh, verses 23 through 25. Uh, the beginning of verse 23, it says, anyone who listens to the word but, but does not do what it says, that statement there is directly related to the beginning of verse 25, when it says, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this. Is a contrast there. But those two statements, beginning of verse 23, beginning of verse 25, kind of serve as, as two slices of the bread around the meat of the illustration of the mirror that goes in between. The middle of verse 23. It says, is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. What is the point of the mirror illustration? Well, there was this man who looked at his face in the mirror, James says. Literally, by the way, it says he sees the face he was born with. <laughs> he sees the face he was born with. And what happens after this man looks at himself in the mirror? Well, he begins well, but it ends tragically. Verse 24 says, after looking at himself in this mirror, he goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. What? How, did, how in the world did he forget what he looks like? That's absurd. Yes. That's the point. It is absurd. And so when James speaks of forgetting what he looks like, it's not referring to a lack of memory or a lack of cognitive ability. He's referring to an intentional forgetting. See, we don't want to remember what we saw because we don't want to change what the mirror revealed, because mirrors don't lie. Mirror, mirror, or magic mirror on the wall, who's the fairest one of all, the evil queen asked. And the mirror would always reply, thou, O queen, are the fairest of all. And the evil queen was contented because she knew the mirror could speak nothing but the truth. And the wicked witch liked it when the mirror told her that she was the fairest. Right? But later on, you know, the, you know the fairy tale, later on when that same mirror told her that she was not the fairest of them all, but Snow White was the fairest of them all, she got angry and she got jealous and she went into this rage. See, we may not like what the mirror shows us. Mirrors don't lie. It is there, your face, you see the face you were born with. Mirrors don't gloss over our defects and tell us we're better looking than we are. That's the very reason that Mae West, Mae West, the story's told that that, uh, she had all her mirrors removed as she aged because she couldn't face the inevitable wrinkles and lines on her face. Get rid of them all. I don't want to see it. All right. Suppose when you get up tomorrow morning, you make your way to the bathroom and you look into the mirror. All right, some of you, that might be pretty scary looking. Uh, You can decide that on your own. But you might have the dark circles under your eyes. Your hair's kind of sticking out in all kinds of places. There might be some fuzz on your face. There might be that smudge of chocolate that you didn't take care of the night before. (laughs) Might be pale face. You fill in the blanks. But now suppose that after looking at yourself in the mirror... You decided, okay, I see that, but you know what? I'm going to deal with that stuff later. I need to go have breakfast. And you sit down to eat breakfast, and you you, you get on your computer, and you kind of lose track of time. and, And then you realize, oh, no, I'm going to be late for work or for my appointment. And you quickly get dressed, and you just run out of the door, forgetting what you saw in the mirror. I mean, you saw, but you didn't do anything about what you saw. And if that's what you did every single morning, you got up, you looked in the mirror, but you just left everything as it is, why have mirrors at all? I mean, why see the messy hair, the dark circles under your eyes, that leftover egg that's, that missed your mouth, your wrinkled shirt, other things, and, and, and just ignore your needs? I mean, why look at it at all if you don't do something about it? That's James's point. The forgetfulness is the strength of the analogy. Any amount of careful looking into a mirror is wasted if we don't do something about what we just saw. Pastor Stuart Briscoe was teaching the principles of Bible study and he showed how to pick out the promises as you're going through Scripture, how to pick out the commands in Scripture and, 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 and so on, and, and circle and underline and all of this. And finally he reviewed and he said, all right, let's go over this. Now what do you do with the commands? And the little old lady raised her hand and said, I underline them in blue. <laughs> well, you know what? Underlining the Bible's commands in blue might make for a colorful Bible. But the point of the commands is not that we can just underline them, circle them, and find them. To obey them. Now, just so that I'm not misunderstood. I don't always care about that. But just in case, I'm not misunderstood. I'm not taking a shot at any method of underlining your Bibles with certain colors and so on and so on, and circling. No, no, those are good things. That's a really good method. It actually is. But at the end of the day, that was never God's intention in communicating with us through his word. James addresses the mirror ministry of God's word. And just as it may be unpleasant to confront our own faces first thing in the morning, we know that if we don't look at ourselves and attempt at making some changes, the rest of the world is going to see our morning face. It's better to face the truth, isn't it, than to ignore reality. So the question then is, do we approach the mirror of God's word and say, Mirror, mirror, speak. Truth, show me what I need to see. Then what? And how often this happens to me? How often do we hear a sermon, or or or, or listen to this podcast, or come back from a conference, or read God's word for ourselves? And say, I really need to do something about that. And then life gets busy. You got people to see, places to go, and you just forget. I mean, how often does God's word show you yourself? For it doesn't lie. It shows you that you need to go make something right with someone. It shows you that you have a sewer mouth. It shows you that you are self-righteous. It shows you that you wounded your child with careless speech. It shows you that you are way over your head physically in that relationship. It shows you that you're binging on food. It shows you you're about to be dragged away and enticed, yet you immediately forget what you saw. I mean, how often has God's Word nudged you to to encourage your friends? to speak up to witness in your workplace or in your network of relationships, to give more sacrificially or to step out in faith or to get involved in a ministry or to trust rather than worry and you immediately forget. You walk away from the mirror leaving things just as they are. No changes. That's absurd. But why is it, church, Why is it that surveys commonly reveal that there's little difference between professing Christians and the population at large, on most moral social beliefs and behavior? Church, this should not be. Might it be because we're sermon sipping? We're sipping on that which just suits our taste. Now, for most, most of the time, the problem isn't we need more information, right? We need to act on what we already know. I read, I believe it's a true story, about a schoolteacher who lost her life savings in a business scheme that had been elaborated, elaborately explained by some swindler. And so when her investment disappeared and her dream was shattered, she finally went to the Better Business Bureau. Well, why on earth didn't you come to us first, the official asked this teacher. I mean, didn't you know about the Better Business Bureau? Oh, yes, the teacher replied. I, I've always known about you, but I didn't come to you because I was afraid you would tell me not to do it. Isn't that the rub, though? If I actually open this up, it might tell me I can't do what I want to do. Because <laughs> it is pretty con- counterintuitive. And perhaps that's, that's keeping us from drinking deeply from the well. We know it's going to reveal some things we may need to address. But you know. I want to see the positive side of this. What is, what is exciting about God's word is the remarkable change it can bring. And then what is the positive outcome of doing God's word? Look at verse 25. Let's not miss this. It is a positive outcome. But the man, the one who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Now, that phrase, perfect law that gives freedom, may kind of sound like an oxymoron. That's this paradox We don't think of law and freedom going hand in hand. We think of law as a burden and not being under law as freedom. It says perfect law that gives freedom is what we find here in God's Word. Now let me give you a little context here. The Jewish Christians reading this would have likely at first pass thought of the Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone given to them. Notice though after they had been redeemed, after they had been delivered from bondage in Egypt. Afterwards, they were given that to follow so that they could frame their lives and, 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 and provided them with a way of life that would be freeing for them if they would choose to follow it. So their minds would go there first. But I think more than that, I think more than that, I have to believe that these Jewish Christians reading this would have thought about Jeremiah 31 and the New Covenant. And you can check out Jeremiah 31 this week, read it through. But in Jeremiah 31 uh, and the New Covenant, the prophet spoke of a day when the law would be written on their hearts. And so on this side of the cross, the law that gives freedom... Is, is, is that which is not forced by external compulsion, but instead freely received with glad devotion out of love for the Lord? See, it's, be, it's because of God's acceptance of us in Jesus Christ and our love relationship with Him that doing what He tells is not burdensome. It's freeing perfect law that gives freedom. You see, Freedom is not doing whatever we feel like doing. That's how we we define it. I get to do whatever I want. I have freedom. Not true. Freedom is the power to do what we ought to do. And now with the law of God written in our hearts, we now have the power to live out what he's called us to do. See, freedom is the power to do what we ought to do. It's not doing whatever we feel like doing. Matter of fact, I mean, I I think this would resonate here with you. To do whatever we feel like doing truly is the opposite of freedom. For it leads to addictions, and it leads to slavery, it leads to bondage, and it leads to a death-like existence as we saw earlier in James around the, around the idea of, of temptation. The law that gives freedom is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The law that gives freedom is, is to love our neighbors. The law that gives freedom is to love one another, it's to serve one another in love, Galatians 5. Galatians 5. The law that gives freedom is knowing within that to obey is far better than rejecting what God tells us to do. That's, that's freedom. It is God's word that can give us the wisdom to apply to everyday living. That is why we can delight in God's word. We know what it brings in our lives. Freedom. So why then do we settle with sermon sipping When we hold in our hands the living word of truth given to us by God to change our attitudes and actions that lead to freedom. Now, you know, we have all kinds of Bible translations today. I mean, really, we have them to ad nauseum. I suggest one more translation needed it is the Doer's Version. (laughs) The Doer's Version. It is our translating the Bible into life. Don't just listen, do. Second heading is don't just do, do right. Don't just do, do right. There was this couple... Decided that they should do something together to strengthen their marriage. And so they decided, well, you know, uh, let's go duck hunting together. Let's do that to strengthen our marriage. We'll go duck hunting. And they, they heard of other people going duck hunting with using dogs. And so they figured they need to buy a good hunting dog. And they bought the best hunting dog there was. They got all of the equipment and their dog. And, and they took off to go duck hunting for the day. And they tried getting some ducks uh, all day long, but they came to the end of the day and they hadn't gotten a single duck. The husband looked at the wife and said, honey, we've got to be do something wrong here. We haven't caught a duck yet. And the wife said, well, you know, maybe if we throw the dog up a little higher this time, he can catch a duck. <laughs> you know, it's never going to work. It's never going to work. This well-intentioned couple could try all day, and it's doubtful they'd ever get a duck. It wasn't for lack of effort that they failed, but they had tried to get a dog to do what a gun was meant to do. And so when it comes to living out our faith, it isn't just do it. Just do it. Just just try harder. No, James, as a matter of fact, addresses empty, ritual. Outward religion. It doesn't just say, just do and add to your life more things that look spiritual, that look religious. No, the last thing Pastor James would want is that you simply look the part. It isn't just do, do, do. No, it's doing right. It's doing right. Look at verses 26 and 27. James will give them three examples of doers of the word. In all three of these topics, by the way, we're going to spend time um, uh, on them later on in the book. So I'm not going to spend a lot on it right now, but just related to what we've been talking about. Verse 26. Look at me at verse 26. It's going to get real practical here. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. All right. So, if you're a follower of Christ, if we have been changed by the gospel, if we're banking on Jesus' sacrifice for our sins, but we have loose lips, he says, stop kidding yourself that this is the word you believe in. Too strong? I believe it's there. You deceive yourself. Remember, James is all about show me faith, right? Right? And what has the watching, unbelieving world concluded about those who call themselves Christians, yet hear those same people complain about their church or throw a fellow Christian under the bus? They, in essence, say, don't tell me about your Christ when you've loosely shared about his followers. See, if what comes out of our mouth is that, or, or it's foulness, or it's constant negativity, or it's unkind words, stop kidding yourself that this word is what you believe in and live by. That's what he's saying. Because by what you're showing me, James says you're religion, and he's not going after religion here and saying religion's bad. That's not what his point is. Empty religion is, he's going through the motions of it, looking the part that is, Because if it doesn't really make much of a difference in your life, for all intents and purposes, he says, it is worthless. It's not empty religion. It's not playing church. Don't just do. Do right. And he gives us an example how we can do that. Second example of doing God's word is by being a defender of the needy. Defender of the needy. Look at verse 27. He says, religion that, our, that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless is this. Look after orphans and widows in their distress. James here mentions two groups of people to drive home his point about a religion that is acceptable to God. Orphans uh, and widows And that day would be two particular groups who would feel uh, the pressures associated in making it day after day. They were the neediest people in the early church. Much is said in in scripture, you can explore this, about defending those who can't defend themselves. We're called to care for the unfortunate people who are marginalized. An acceptable religion, James says, written through God wanted it here. An acceptable religion selflessly reaches out to those who are unable to reciprocate in any way. That's hard to do. Now, we're going to be coming back to this later in our sermon series, but suffice it to say now, let me ask you this. How is God calling you to personally, personally, not this is what the church ought to do. How is God calling you to personally respond to those in distress those in distress because of pressures due to illness or those in distress over broken relationships or those, those in distress because of family tensions or, or falling on some hard times. How is God calling you to personally respond to those in need? Mirror, mirror, what do you see? Take a look at the way we see others, especially the helpless. Are you touched? By their needs and not just touched but called to act in some way he's I mean, getting practical here all right james touches on one other area where to do right in response to the word of god religion that god accepts as pure and faultless is this end of verse end of verse 27 he says to keep oneself which by the way indicates a regular continuous action Keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You see, doers of God's word not only defend the weak, they also, they also are dedicated to wholesomeness. And a passive approach won't cut it. If we're not actively, habitually obeying the Lord if we're not working at all that we can to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world, listen, we will slip away into uh, compromise. We will find ourselves doing things we once said we would never do. Don't just do, EBC, Pastor Brian, do right. It isn't the ritual of religion God is after, but living out the reality of one's faith. And James provides three practical ways we can do this. All right, mirror, mirror. What do do you see? What specific application do you need to make about being a doer this week? Because we've looked into the mirror of God's Word this morning. Some of you will continue to look into the mirror of God's Word by attending a community group or, or going to a Bible study or, or listening to someone, someone online on a podcast or, or, or your personal time in God's Word this week. You're, some of you are going to do that as you go out from here. I would encourage you to do that. But, but, but will that be good? Will that be good? See, a Bible study is good not just because we learn something. A Bible study is good not just because it was profound and deep. A Bible study is good not because of what the teacher or preacher was able to do with the passage. A Bible study is good because it convicts us and it changes us. If it doesn't change us, can it really be called good? Would God call it good? Is God blessing it? I want you to see the final words back here in verse 25. I I purposely skipped over them until now because I really wanted to end on this note. What does this passage say here back in verse 25? I'm going to read all of it. I want you to follow along. Verse 25. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it. Now catch this. End of verse 25 says, he will be blessed in what he knows. <laughs> it doesn't say that. He will be blessed in what he's memorized. Wrong again. Okay, he will be blessed in what he teaches others. No. It says he will be blessed in what he does. In what he does Chuck Swindoll has you imagining this scenario let suppose a business owner goes overseas and as a business owner he wants to leave you in charge of the domestic operation while he's away You're responsible, you're the manager of this operation. He says before he leaves, you know what, I'm going to write to you regularly to give instructions so that you know what to do. Months go by, the letters keep arriving, and you read the letters. But months later, the owner, he returns, and as he drives in, to his property that you would take care of, he finds the grass uncut, he finds windows broken, he, he finds all the personnel, the staff, they're not doing anything, and, and things are just in a general state of chaos. The owner goes up to you, and, and he asks, what's going on here? And the conversation goes like this. You say, letters? Yeah, I know, sure, I get every one of those letters. As a matter of fact, As a matter of fact, we have a letter study every Friday night since you left. We study those letters. We've even divided all the personnel into small groups, and we discuss the many of the things you wrote. Some of those things, i got to tell you, they were really, really interesting. you will be pleased to know, you say, that that a few of us have actually committed to memory some of your sentences and paragraphs of those letters. Oh, yeah, one or two. They memorized an entire letter or two. I mean, there was great stuff in those letters. Okay, okay, the owner says, and you know this is gone. You got my letters. You studied my letters. You meditated on, on my letters. You discussed and even memorized them. But what did you do about them? Do? Do? Huh? We, 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 we didn't do anything about them. Mirror, mirror of God's word, who is truly blessed by the Lord of all doers of the word. Don't be a sermon sipper. Don't just talk, here. Don't just hear, listen. Don't just listen, do. Don't just do, do right. Let's pray. Lord, and the, the, the danger, I guess, in preaching this this morning is we do the exact opposite of what you just told us to do in, in this passage. You want me to walk out of here this morning and do something about what we just talked about, what we read right there in your scriptures. And I pray that each one of us would make that personal application to our lives of what we're to do how to be a doer of your word today and this week. For it's then that we are blessed. It is then that we walk into freedom. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.